Black excellence is knowing your history. You have to know where you came from in order to know where you're going. It is increasingly more important as people of color to have an understanding about our heritage. We have a rich history here in America, and a lot of times you don't get to hear about it. I encourage each and every one of you to go and talk to your elders, talk to anyone in your family about, it could be as small or as large as you know, the topic is, but make sure you have a clear understanding of the contributions that your family has made to this world. Welcome to the Dripping in Black podcast, where we celebrate Black excellence throughout the Black diaspora. Here's your host, David V. Lewis. What's up, good people all across the world? This is the Dripping in Black podcast. I am your host, David V. Lewis, and per usual, we have another fantastic guest. Today's guest is Michelle Campbell. Michelle, say hello to the world. Hello, world. (laughs) I think this is going to be a first for us as well. We have somebody who's dynamic in a variety of ways. I don't think we have enough time to really capture all of it. I know we don't. But we're going to try to do our best to get her story told. Uh, Such an excellent story to tell. I've been I've been looking you up. I didn't tell you that part in the pre-show, but I've been looking you up. It's a lot to look up as well. So we're going to get right into it. We're going to start with our traditional question of we always like to ask who is our guest. So who is Michelle Campbell? All right. Well, thank you, David, for um, having me on the show. And I'm just excited um, to be able to share my story and hopefully it helps uh, inspire, um, encourage uh, someone. So who am I? I am an African-American woman. Actually, I'm multicultural and you'll find out a little bit about that later. Um, But primarily when you ask me, who am I? African-American woman. Um, I'm a mother. I'm a sister, a daughter friend to very many people, um, corporate executive, community activists. uh, I like to have fun and I love and enjoy my life, uh, spending spending time basically living out my purpose. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That's a, that's a good place to, to wrap that question up and then a good place to start as well, because we got a question about the time. (laughs) <laughs> that uh me and me and Sean kind of chopped it up about it but I'm gonna ask that a little later we're we're curious about the the time you're able to uh the way you're able to divide your time but I'll pose that a little bit later I want to start off with uh your background where are you from born and raised Detroit Michigan okay went to private schools started out in Lutheran schools Uh, then transitioned into Catholic schools. So I went to Greenfield Peace Lutheran School on the West Side. (laughs) Um, Then I went to St. Scholastica for a couple of years, graduated from there. The natural progression from there was to go to Benedictine. So Mm -hmm. I graduated from Benedictine High School and then went straight off to Michigan State University. And from there is where I really branched out and started moving about the world, you can say. So um, graduated, went straight to Chicago, lived in Chicago for 20 years, 
um, moved to Boston, lived there for a little while, and now I'm in Rochester, New York. Wow. Yeah. So, so I want to ask a question about the Lutherans, the switch from Lutheran to Catholic or Catholic schools. Mm -hmm. Is that a big deal? <laughs> um. Yes, in a little bit. And, and the reason it was a big deal for me is because not only was it an, um, from an academic perspective different, it was also a, a personal transition for me. My parents had recently gotten divorced. And so mm -hmm. the decision was made, oh, well, we're going to you know try this new school out without ever really thinking how impactful that is. So mm -hmm. I went from kindergarten to sixth grade in one school, same friends. I mean, very close-knit cheerleading team, track star, all these things that just, okay, seventh grade, brand new. Didn't know a wow. person in there. Um, yeah. Uniforms. I mean, wow. you know, from being able to wear your regular clothes to wearing uniform, walking in a single file line from classroom to classroom, um, having to, well, we went to church in Lutheran school, but going to mass and actually there's a ritual and practices, rosaries, yeah. you know, yeah. all of that stuff was like brand new. And, and yeah. by the way, um, on a personal level, we were um, going to Lutheran church. So my church yeah. was on the southwest side of Detroit, um, mm -hmm. Messiah Lutheran. <clears throat> and so we still practice being like a Lutheran, but then wow. when I went to school, I had to put on my Catholic <laughs> hat and then be a Catholic, mm -hmm. you know, so yeah. not be one, but really learn the practices of Catholicism. And so, yeah, yeah, it was, it was definitely different. Yeah. Yeah. That, that question, that question stems from my, you know, I'm a history teacher and uh, I'm not going to delve too far into it, but, but I'm just curious because, you know, that the Lutheran church was really born out of protests mm -hmm. uh, of Catholicism. So to have that dynamic in your, your history, uh, sparked an interest in me. But okay, so let's talk about Michigan State. You had a great time at Michigan State. What what degrees did you earn from there? Yeah, so um, right after, you know, high school, went right on to college, Michigan State, stayed in Brody Complex. Uh, for folks that are watching this, they know where that is. Um, Emmons Hall. Actually, I was in one other hall, Bailey, before Emmons, but Emmons was way cooler. So we had to figure out a way to get out of Bailey and into Emmons. I always knew what I wanted to do, um, which is probably rare for most mm -hmm. people. By the age of 13, yeah. I knew I wanted to be an engineer. So um, I have my Bachelor of Science uh, from Michigan State in Electrical Engineering. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. And um, it was just a matter of not really understanding what that meant, but just knowing I was determined to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And there are some cousins in your family that were into engineering as well, but they didn't go into electrical or they went into something different. And you that's chose right. electrical for a reason. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I had you, you did read up on me. Okay. So yeah, <laughs> I had at the time I had a cousin at state who was in mechanical engineering. I had two cousins at Wayne State. It was actually my, a cousin and his fiance who subsequently got married. Um, they were chemical engineering. So oh, as I wow. looked through the catalog of types of engineers, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do that one. I'm not going to do that one. Okay, I'm going to do electrical. It seems pretty interesting. Um, I was known for like taking vacuum cleaners apart, fixing radios and stuff like <laughs> that. Product of mm -hmm. being 
you know, in a single household and you ain't going to get a new radio. So you better go try to figure out how to fix it. So, you know, by default, being kind of electrically inclined and then deciding that, you know, this is probably a good fit for me, which, you know, in hindsight, I'm so glad that I picked it, not knowing a lot about it. It is probably still the one of the most, uh, uh, I would say, sought after types of degrees. Mm-hmm. You can transcend from that to computer science, computer engineering, mm-hmm. and all of that. So it, it really was a good choice after all for me. Yeah. So you're at Michigan State. And I know, you know, having been through college myself as a Black person, the higher up you go in your classes, the fewer of, a, of us we see across yeah. the room. That's so right. talk talk to us about that experience for you as you okay. start matriculating through your major. What is that life from a race standpoint? Okay, so growing up again in Detroit, uh, most of my classmates looked like me, um, even in a private school setting. I mean, we had a few mm. people that were Caucasian, but for the most part, it was black. I, you know, West Side Detroit, um, mm. so forth. So. Small classrooms, too, coming from a private school. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my graduating class was like 160 mm-hmm. some students or something. So yeah. sitting in a classroom like a calculus class with hundreds of people mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. my number, I still know it to this day. I was a number. OK, I was not <laughs> Michelle. Like my teachers used to know me. I was, you know, well known, very active and so forth. I was just a number mm-hmm. at Michigan State. You're one mm-hmm. of many. And oh, by the mm-hmm. way, you probably ain't going to make it. You're probably not mm-hmm. going to even make it. We had this one class, um, engineering uh, 290 at Michigan State, which was um, headed up by Dr. Tompkins, who was an African-American professor there. And that class was geared toward African-American or minority students who wanted mm-hmm. to go into engineering. Now, I'll never forget something he said to us in there. He said, look to your left, look to your right. Yeah. He said, one or both of y'all are not going to make it through. And I never, mm-hmm. I know who was here sitting on my right. I'm still friends with them. And there was a young lady on this side. I said, it ain't going to be me. I'm going to make it. <laughs> I'm going to make it. And sure enough, at the end of the day, they didn't mm-hmm. make it, but I did. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was just that determination, but it was real. And it was like, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to something and not make it. I mm-hmm. I went to school knowing that I had good grades and everything. So whatever I put my mind to, I was going to do. So I, I couldn't even imagine not doing it, you yeah. know, especially wanting to do better, wanting to um, be on my own. You know, it's a whole nother story of independence. And I looked up how much an electrical engineer made. I said, oh, yeah, <laughs> I, I think I can, I can get with this, you know, mm-hmm. um, in fact, when I graduated from Michigan State, engineering, electrical engineering was the number one technical degree. And mm-hmm. I went to go work for the number one company in that technology. It was an engineering magazine. And so mm-hmm. I was really proud of the fact that I was able to land a job, probably one of the highest paid coming out for that year because of the company I went to. Yeah. Yeah, so let's go into that. So let's go into your post-college career. You you got your degree in engineering, and you've done some dynamic things in terms of that, in terms of innovation, right? So tell the audience about that start that you had with the, the innovative things that you, you've done. Okay, so I started 
with uh, the number one telecom uh, telecommunications company in the world at that time. I think everybody know who that was back in the late uh, 80s, early 90s of who that was and what pagers they had and cell phones yeah. and everything. We were killing the game, as they say. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were making money hand over fist and everybody won our product. There was no such thing really as a Samsung, uh, mm -hmm. iPhone, Nokia, mm -hmm. and all these other people. They weren't really even in existence. So we dominated and um, it was fun. It was a fun time. I mean, mm -hmm. we, um, actually, let me back up for a second, because actually when I started, I started in the two-way radio business mm -hmm. um, with this company. This company was about 180,000 employees at the time. So it was massive. We had seven mm -hmm. different divisions. The division I was in was our, what we called our land uh, mobile product sector. And so mm -hmm. that was basically two-way radio. So all your police, fire, EMT, and so forth, they used their radios. And I was fortunate enough to be on the cusp of a transition. Mm -hmm. And this transition was from radio to cellular, but still encapsulating cellular. So if you remember the next Nextel push to talk uh, phones, the chirp mm -hmm. phones, as people say, that was <laughs> my baby. That's where I was. I was there when that thing transitioned from just people using it for fleet, like taxis and trucking and so forth, to actually you and me, your grandmother and so forth, being able to use that two-way radio slash cell phone technology. And oh my God, that was, those are the glory days. Okay. Because again, there was no one else in the industry that did that. Um, I was like in what I call the first of that. Mm -hmm. Stayed in that for a number of years, kind of made my bones, uh, had a lot of growing pains, learning pains and so forth, but then moved into true cellular technology uh, mm -hmm. what we call CDMA. Then I moved into a brand new tech technology that nobody really was feeling or believing was called long-term evolution, LTE. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, people was like, what, what's this? You know, this is talking over broadband, voice over IP. Mm -hmm. You know, what is all this? You know, everybody was so used to the radio and the radio systems and the network and, you know, having mm -hmm. cellular communications, this was all broadband. So it was like a whole new world. And um, I was fortunate enough to be on the front end of all of that, seeing when, you know, T-Mobile sent out their RFP, which is the request for proposal. So they were bidding mm -hmm. out like their deals, like AT&T wants to build a nationwide network. Verizon wants to build a nationwide network. Who are we going to go with? And you have mm -hmm. to complete an RFP. And we're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of pages and responses and rebuttals and oral presentations to their headquarters. And I was involved with all of that. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I became a guru of it, you know, after a while, but, you know, that was uh, uh, definitely uh I would say another one of those interesting times in my life um, is while we were building out technology, I was building up my career, Yeah, you know, becoming an executive, becoming in leadership position, being yeah. appointed into a, we called it the next generation leadership program, um, which I didn't even know existed, by the way, <laughs> it was kind of like this little secret society, you know, in so many <laughs> words that 
if they felt like you were good enough to maybe move into executive leadership, they would tap you on the shoulder and you would get a separate program. You have to do your day-to-day job, but you got to also be a part of this program, which was uh, pretty intense. And the audience was all executive leadership in the company. And they evaluated whether or not you were worthy or not to move up. Yeah. 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 A lot there. So I want to, I want to go back for the audience sake. So you have broadband. Explain that to somebody who's not technical of what broadband is and how that was different than what you were doing previous. Okay. So um, the original, I guess you can call cellular technology, technology is more just like it says, cellular. So it's cellularly constructed. You have towers where you're transmitting and receiving radio signals. Similar in approach, but this is all over the air um, with broadband, um, whereas you're not dealing with um, like circuits switched. You're dealing more with broadband. I mean, it's kind of, I don't know how to simplify it <laughs> enough, but, you know, it, it's it's all over the air. It's all broadband. This is, your, you know, your your bits and bytes, right? As opposed to- So what's, to, what's over the air? So when you say over um, the air, what does that mean? Um, let me see. Simple way, because I get real technical and people like, (laughs) um, I would just say voice over IP, internet protocol. Mm -hmm. So, um, as opposed to voice over circuit switch, so over IP packets, um, Mm -hmm. is the way you now will communicate and how we actually all do, you know, most of us are on 4G, 5G. When we talk on the cell phone, we're not talking circuit switched anymore like we used mm-hmm. to do with true 3G. If you remember the term 3G technology, mm-hmm. GSM and all of that, right? And CDMA, mm-hmm. that's all like legacy. This is all IP packets. This is all mm-hmm. um, what we call over the air. And um, same kind of concept with you have towers. You work in a certain band, um, frequency band. Uh, so most of uh, like our, uh, you know, carriers that we have today work and operate around, you know, certain megahertz, a certain giga, you know, it depends on <laughs> where your bands are. So I don't want to get too techie, but every <laughs> every carrier has a set of bands that they operate in. And so like you ever get a phone and they say, OK, this one is provision for Verizon use only, as an example. Mm-hmm can't go and take that and work it on AT&T because they operate in an entirely different frequency band. And so okay. the radios and the antennas that are built into the, the, the device itself, as well as the network radio have a compatibility, right? That they work with each other. So you can't yeah. just interchange and switch them. And oh, by the way, it costs millions and billions and billions of dollars to obtain bands so you know it's big companies <laughs> like that that have big pockets that can afford yeah. own blocks of frequency spectrum if that makes sense yeah yeah i think i think i followed you pretty well so okay good. So <laughs> at the core of what i want to ask because i'm always marveled at this you're at the forefront of this idea this innovation where does that come from you know how do you how do you figure out to move it from the cellular, you know, and I know this is the electronic, you know, electrical engineering aspect, but, you know, 
it's an innovative part of, of it as well that that really piques my interest, right? Yes. What is what is what are those conversations like going from yeah. taking this thing from cellular to broadband? Right. So um, it's it's not like just a group of folks like at one company kind of coming up with this. There is industry standards, um, mm -hmm. particularly 3GPP is a standards body. It's an international standards body, which mm -hmm. uh, various companies uh, that are in this space agree um, on what should the protocols be. Um, mm -hmm what uh, band should be operated in, what type of operations, what are the, um, if you ever looked at a flow diagram of how packets come in and out, how that works, you know, so it's not like anybody out here, like I'm gonna just go and make me a broadband system. No, it has to follow a standard. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. as these standards evolve, they have different releases like our, I think seven, 3GPPR7, R8, 9, so forth, or kind of like those broadband ones, there's an agreement across the industry on how that is to work. So when it's time, you know, everybody knew we need more capacity, we need faster, right? So how do we do that? Well, we know internet protocol is much faster than circuit switch. So it's just these folks getting together and agreeing mm -hmm. on how that is going to be ushered forward. And mm -hmm. they're released at a certain time too. So it's not like anyone is leapfrogging anyone else. The standard comes out, you build toward the standard. Yeah. And, and you just happen to be in that circle of people figuring this thing out. <laughs> <laughs> a, a little bit, yes. Um, you know, I also have worked with very, very smart people um, mm. who actually held positions in standards. So each company has, depending on how big your company is and how much you can afford, you can have so many representatives from your company that, that mm. sits on these boards with um, the decision makers, essentially. And so, yeah, mm. by me default, working with these folks that, you know, spend a lot of time in standards. I was just a recipient of the information and then being able to disseminate that out to my team on how we would build out our solutions. <laughs> uh, I just got Sean in my head. I know he's hearing you humble, being so <laughs> humble with it. But I'm looking at you. I'm looking at all this information. I'm saying there's some some collar popper that need to be going on. So <laughs> let's, let's, let's go a little further because... Okay. You're not just an electrical engineer, right? But you have, you have influence following generations to try to get into that. Let's talk about the mentorship that you're doing. Okay, excellent. Um, mm -hmm. So even in my career, um, one of the things I did, um, I'm, I purposely and deliberately reached back uh, to my alma mater, Michigan State University, and I recruited interns to work in engineering fields within the company. And I did that because, um, and I actually went to our uh, equal opportunity office because I remember being that student struggling, trying to figure out what I'm gonna do this summer, you know, where I'm gonna work, who, who, who's hiring and so forth. It's always nice when that phone call comes into that office and they say, hey, we got three positions here at company A, who you got mm -hmm. for me? You know, and so mm -hmm. they they uh, equipped me with some really talented people 
and um, really expose them to, you know, what I do and really help and just mentor them on, is this what you want to do? Because understanding the theoretical part of engineering is very different than the application and mm -hmm. actually when you're dealing with the outside world. So for me, the theoretical part was boring. I ain't going to even lie. It was boring <laughs> because I'm not a lab rat. And I'm not disrespecting <laughs> anybody who works in a lab because we need you. But I am mm. not that person. I am mm. very uh, interpersonal. So I would use that um, mm. as a vehicle to show them you can actually interface with these companies, some of the largest telecom providers in the world, some of the largest wireless carriers in the world, some of the largest you know, equipment suppliers in the world and, and sit down in forums and make decisions across the table with them. And so I showed them what I consider the fun aspect of being an engineer because it's not just sitting in the lab. It's not just writing code. Sometimes, you know, it's about making critical decisions and it's nice to be able to have the technical background, but also understanding the practicality and the application of it. And how are people going to use this? And what do the buttons need to look like on a device? Should the mm -hmm. antenna be over here or over there? Do they mm -hmm. want that to be red when it pops up? Do they? I mean, all that kind of stuff, right? That That's mm -hmm. engineering too. I tell mm -hmm. people all the time, I said, mm -hmm. whether it's a box of cereal, whether it's a toothbrush, uh, a car, uh, at, you know, a, a space shuttle, it's all engineering. Every thing in life has touched, the engineer has touched it in some way, yeah. shape, or form. And so I, me being an extra personal person, I just looked at an opportunity. Well, let me go grab this person. Let me go show this person this. Let me go yeah. expose them to this because they don't teach you that. And when yeah. you're, you know, got the, the books and you're studying and you're doing problems and stuff, yeah. you don't learn about what I just told you about. Right. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's so it's so important. And again, I'm an educator. It's so important for the book knowledge, you know, and the book knowledge is where it starts. Right. I mean, it's it, what I mean by that is to get into the field, you have to have a certain certification. Right. right? So you, you have to have the book knowledge and getting students, let's say high school age students to understand how it's applicable in the real world is such a huge thing to expose a, a young mind to, right? Yeah, yeah. So I want I want you to tell me the story. I read a little bit. I don't want to tell it. I want you to tell it for us of yeah. how you you had a group of people that didn't want to didn't think they wanted to do engineering. Right. Tell us that story. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I was working in Chicago, as you know. That's a large uh, metropolitan area. Large. African-American community on the South side and the West side. There was an organization where I was actually a board member, volunteer first, became board member called Jobs for You. And um, one of the things that we did, uh, in addition to many things to help prepare children for uh, working in you know, uh, professional environments and so forth, is to expose them to what engineering looks like. So I said, you know, 
let me go grab us some of the kids from the South side, because I know when I grew up in Detroit, nobody grabbed me up and said, come here and, you know, look and walk through this plant with me and Ford mm -hmm. or GM or whatever and see how things go. So, you know, our headquarter being right there in the Chicago area, got a bus, brought the kids out. And the first question I asked them, I said, so who um, wants to be an engineer? And they're looking around like, I don't, I don't even know what that is. What, what, is, what do they do? You know, I said, okay, so I'm, just hold that question. You know, hold that thought because by the end of the day, I want you to get exposed to what engineers do. I'm going to bring in different engineers. So I brought other people that look like me, men and women who talked mm -hmm. about their journey, talked about what they did, you know, mm -hmm. some of the cell phones that they could relate to. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you was on there, <laughs> you know, da, 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 da. And then we had, you know, smart homes where you have smart refrigerators and all this cool stuff that they got to see um, in our innovation center. And they fell in love. I mean, and they didn't realize like all the little mm -hmm. things that they take for granted every day of what is behind the scenes to get that done. And then so after exposing them to all these wonderful things from Hollywood to your home to the corporate environment to, you know, out on the beach somewhere. I mean, we we got every, we had everything. We had our hands in everything. I said, so now what? Who wants to be an engineer? And all the hands raised up. Like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I want to be an engineer. And sometimes it's just that exposure. Whether or not yeah. they pursued it is one thing. But if you even touch one individual, one youth, that you know, explain to them like, hey, this is a possibility. And oh, guess what? It's people that look like you that yeah. are doing this stuff, you know, and mm -hmm. they're like thinking, you know, sometimes you think stuff is like so far away and so out of your reach. Yeah. It really isn't. Um, yeah. it, things aren't as complicated as we envision them to be. It seems like it's more. I can never do. It. I can never build a car. Mm -hmm. I can. But there's people every day in you know yeah. manufacturing, building vehicles, and you know even if someone heard their story about that, or you know I made this. Uh, I had a friend that used to work at a, a, a food industry, and mm -hmm. uh, he was an engineer, and I was like. Even pizzas? Yeah, even <laughs> pizza, frozen pizzas that, you know, are in your grocer's freezer. There's an engineer behind that. And it's just fascinating and exciting and very tangible is what I want to say for, you know, young individuals that might be listening. And it is extremely tangible. If you yeah. want to do it, just put your, I know it oh, seems oversimplified and cliche, put your mind to it, but really put your mind to it because my mind was fixated on, I'm going to get out of this school. I'm going to get this degree and I'm going to work and I'm going to make me some good money. Watch. That, yeah. that was my, yeah. I mean, honestly, that was my mentality at the time. Yeah. So part of, uh, you know, part of the dream with this podcast that Sean and I created uh, a few years ago was uh, exposing our people to the variety of jobs that are out there and people are actually filling those positions and letting them know that it is potential, you know, it's possible for them to do those things because, a lot of times we don't have the 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 uh the image of it so i just think it's just so important that they were able to to experience that for you now i got to pick up the pace a little bit because there's so much left okay. all right and i want to get to this time question so i'm going to do it this way so your primary position correct me if i'm wrong is if i'm if i'm wrong is with robert bosch right that's right talk about a 
talk about your responsibilities for, for that uh, industry. Okay, so the first thing people hear Bosch, they think of power tools, washer and dryers, dishwashers, uh, automotive, even, you know, there's a big headquarters, North America headquarters here um, in um, North America, actually in Farmington Hills. Uh, so a lot of people hear that, they think of all of those things, but I'm actually none of those things. I'm actually, <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the video solutions uh, division. So basically, um, you think of all the security cameras in your retail stores, your airports, your hospitals, anywhere you look up and you see, um, you know, a dome camera, you might see that name Bosch on it. Mm -hmm. And my responsibility um, is to uh, is I'm in charge of all the cloud uh, video management services that we do for North America. And it's funny because they say, oh, you're going to be, you know, regional uh, regional manager. You're going to be I say, oh, OK, so I'm thinking like Northeast, you know, New York and. They're like, no, your region is North America. So you got all the Canada, <laughs> you got all the United States. I was like, that ain't no region. That's a whole continent. <laughs> but uh yeah, you know, I was like, all right, okay, this how hard can this be? Wow. Yeah. So um mm. yeah, you think about all you just walk around any place, you you'd be surprised, you'll look up, and that's probably us. And so mm. um, you know. Cloud technology is uh, relatively new. Most, if you think about even in your movies that you watch on any movie, they're talking about a video recording. Where are they mm -hmm. going? They run to the back to go get some player with some tape or mm -hmm. something, right? Mm -hmm. Those are antiquated ways of doing things. What we're really? talking about now is in the cloud. So envision you sitting in your living room tapping mm -hmm. into a cloud database and being able mm -hmm. to access that video real time, being able to replay that video, be able to do forensic searching on that video, meaning I'm looking for a man, a man mm -hmm. with a red shirt mm -hmm. between these hours in mm -hmm. this location and, wow. doo -doo 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 -doo, and all that comes up, right? Um, mm -hmm. That's the forensic technology that's all being done now in the cloud. And so yeah. you know, people are still buying on-premise equipment because that's tried and true and so mm -hmm. forth. But you'll see there's a shift occurring that there, there's um, many people. So I'm very busy, by the way, with people <laughs> wanting to transition from on-premise equipment to the cloud. Mm -hmm. It's secure. Mm -hmm. It's reliable. It's redundant. Uh, so mm -hmm. there's nothing like, oh, it's a fire in the tape burnt up or somebody mm -hmm. came in the back and stole the tape yeah. that's not yeah, there yeah. is no tape anymore yeah. so um just bringing mm -hmm. video solutions and technology to the 21st century is what i do wow i mean i'm just i'm fascinated by that because i am a spy uh espionage movie uh i watch all the fbis and yes. you know they got the, all this video stuff and it's like you said, a lot of times it's going to this place to get the video. But what you're telling me is that technology has moved beyond that point, especially right. probably for those organizations where they can tap into that that information a lot quicker. Wow, that that's mind blowing. But I'm not going to get caught up on my, my thing because I could stay there. Oh, yeah. Trust you. me. It, <laughs> it, it is quite interesting. And being able to then tie into law enforcement 
will be key, mm. right? Because now the police doesn't have to come and, oh, go to the liquor store and see, oh, go give me the tape yeah. and run it back to two o'clock yeah. in the morning. And no, none of that. It's all <laughs> tapped in. So when an alert here, it's here, boom. Now the camera feed is now tapped over to them. Now they can see what's going on. Just imagine the best situational awareness you can ever have. I know some people mm-hmm. scared about that because that means big brothers watching and yeah, yeah. All of that, that was where I was going. <laughs> yeah, I feel but it. you know, I feel thing it. Is, if you ain't doing feel- nothing wrong, then it, it should be okay because you think about your home. You want your home mm-hmm. to be secure. You want when you step out and go to the store, you want to make sure that there's somebody who's got eyes on you. Or mm-hmm. that in the minute something happens, I mean, we got technology where if a slip and fall occurs in the store, it'll send an alert. You don't have to mm-hmm. wait. Somebody come up and say, I failed in aisle seven, you know, no, mm-hmm. we already know it because it, it came up on the system that it was, a, you know, the, the analytics in the mm-hmm. cameras and also in the cloud are so sophisticated and by the way, we do it the best. I mean, and mm-hmm. I, that's a shameless plug, but mm-hmm. honestly, we do. I mean, we, 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 you know, you pay, get what you pay for, as they say, right? We mm-hmm. are, you know, on the more um, premium side of things, but you're going to get premium quality. Uh, we solve tons of crimes with our solutions. And I think people realize that and it's worth it. You know, when it comes to a point where, you know, the cost benefit of, putting the investment in to get the return on what you get as a result. I mean. Yeah. So my, my question is who, who are your biggest naysayers, especially when we think about this is America and how protective America is of their privacy rights. Who are your biggest naysayers? Mm, Naysayers. Well, I would just say there's apprehension uh, still in the federal space just because that is ultra secure, although our products, we we do supply them to some federal um, entities, you know, that that's still a market that is still um, a, maybe a later adopting market. Um, okay. Banking is another one that is kind of, there, there's a lot of rules and, and requirements you got to meet in order to satisfy some of those things. So I wouldn't say they're per se against it. They're just really ironclad on what you can and what you cannot do. Um, As a whole, I think the the idea of facial recognition is still um, debatable in that state Mm -hmm. by state. Each state has their own, um, you know, uh, arrangement on what is prohibited and restricted and so forth. And so until um, there's confidence, I think, in the reliability of the application, um, I think there'll be a bigger adoption. It's just with anything, right? When it's kind of new, you know, it seems like, oh, it's not 100%. They thought you was Joe Smith and you're David Smith and, Mm -hmm. you know, all of that mess. Once those kinks get ironed out, I think uh, this is just a natural progression. It's just like going from circuit switch to broadband, in my opinion just takes time yeah. yeah absolutely all right so that's that's bosh that's one thing that you got on your plate let's talk about smack productions okay <laughs> what is that <laughs> so smack productions um founded a few years ago meaning souls making a change is um 
cannabis organization, it really started out as a kitchen conversation with some uh, cousins. And we were saying, you know, what can we do in the light of what happened with George Floyd and all the turmoil and things and how our people were at an unrest and people wanted to talk out and lash out. And so my very first show was really about um, the police and community relations and bringing them together. That was my absolute first show. And because I have a very good relationship with many uh, leaders in law enforcement across the world and particularly United States, but across the world as well, um, I was able to um, get a few uh, good men and women together to talk about that candidly. And it really just uh, spawned from there. It was like, okay, it's not just the police community relations. We got to get our wills and trust together. Oh, COVID hit. Now we got all these myths and uh, conspiracies going out. I need to get some experts out here to talk about the truth about the vaccination, the truth about the, the virus itself. And so uh, the good part about that is I brought people of color that are expertise in these areas to talk mm -hmm. to our community. I can tell you one for COVID, um, I have family members, friends who were like, I ain't taking that virus. They, they trying to kill us. They try, you know, all yeah. these kind of things. Right. And when yeah. I brought in these, uh, I brought the top infectious disease doctor who's an African-American woman. I brought uh, ER doctor who spent a lot of time dealing with COVID patients coming into the ER, an anesthesiologist. Mm. I had all these top experts coming in, pharmaceutical company um, executives coming in and telling the truth. And they mm -hmm. look like us. People yeah. call me up. I'm getting it. I'm going to go ahead and get the virus. I mean, the, the vaccination because it convinced them because otherwise where are they getting the information from? From somebody on the, you know, in, in the neighborhood. Social media. Yeah, so, social media is the worst. Yeah. Talking about yeah. is causing COVID. Yeah. I said, oh my God. You yeah. know, stuff like that. So I was like, let's just get the truth out there. And it's really yeah. was to educate, enlighten, um, inform, energize, mobilize our people to be that change we want to see. Because if somebody's not telling them like it is bringing the awareness, getting them woke. Who gonna do it? Really? Yeah. I mean, that was kind of how it started. And, you know, every month I sit here and I say, well, what am I going to talk about this month? I really mm -hmm. never know. I have like a 12 month lineup because the mm -hmm. world is evolving and changing so much. You just never know. One minute there's a mass shooting. Next minute there's a, a virus. Next minute, you know, um, you know, our, our, uh, uh, social security is being impacted. So what kind of things do our people need in order to be successful in this world? We can't keep doing the same thing. We can't keep celebrating the same people. So what yeah. you're doing right here with Dripping With Black is exactly what is needed because we, yeah. how many of us, I mean, no offense or anything, but we all know about the Martin Luther King story, the Rosa Parks story and so forth. There are so <laughs> many more people than that, right? And yeah. It's just bringing the awareness, and I I love doing that. So that that's part of uh, a little bit of what my purpose. When I talk about living a purpose driven life, that is it right there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so I'm a, I'm gonna leave that there. I got a thousand questions with that, but okay. I'm gonna leave that there because I want to keep going with this theme. So you also have where you you gather Black Spartans together. Uh, I think in a couple of ways, I know you do the travel travel group, right? Yes. Talk about talk about the things you do with Black Spartans and bringing them together. 
Okay, so um, I call it the home of the Black Spartans. Uh, I was founded it probably about 13 years ago, have, I don't know, 35, 3,600 members. It really started off as um, when social media first came on the scene and I got adopted to it. I said, you know, I want to keep in touch with some of my friends from mm -hmm. Michigan State. And so that's how I really started it. It is no affiliation with the Michigan State University Black Alumni Association whatsoever. Um, okay. You know, I'm making that clear because they would want me to do that because they have their okay. own separate, you know, organization and entity. But it is the okay. largest um, African-American Black alumni um, network for uh, Michigan State University. Um, we do a variety of things in terms of uh, sharing out information. Um, I try my best to do that uh, as, as, you know, as time permits, you know, it, my schedule <laughs> permits and the information is given to me. A lot of people behind the scenes are so great and gracious. They'll send me things and say, oh, put this out there. And I'm like, yeah, I can put it out there. This is our page. This isn't mm -hmm. my page. It may look mm -hmm. like that because I'm putting a lot of content out there, but it's really for the people. And uh, since that time, uh, we've done things like expand it beyond and start a travel group because we realize, okay, we're old enough. Our kids are out, you know, on their own and stuff. Mm -hmm. We might have a little bit bandwidth now to actually travel and enjoy. So mm -hmm. what I try to do once um, a football season, right now it's just for football, we mm -hmm. find an away game and we go and get together. Um, my co-partner, uh, Dana Lewis, she is in the hotel and restaurant management space. Oh, and future guest can, sounds like. <laughs> it's a match made in heaven. She can get all the connections with, you know, our group rates and, and everything that really helps uh, get volume discounts for our, our group. We have, you know, welcome receptions, uh, surely the game itself and, you know, just a, a nice time to get together and so, um, you know, this year we'll be looking at going to Minneapolis. We're going to rain down on Minneapolis, <laughs> Princess Town, and, and, and see what we can do there. Um, so I'm excited about that, as well as looking uh, forward to uh, visiting the George Floyd Memorial with the Absolutely. group. So, you know, just having that opportunity to network. And we get a couple hundred people every go with this. Um, so I, I anticipate it to expand and to grow. Um, as well. Um, one other thing to add to that. So that's one school mm -hmm. out of the big 10. I know you might've been trying to segue here next <laughs> is that we have a big 10 black alumni group, which was originally started by someone uh, from U of I. Um, and he asked me, he said, I don't even know. I think uh, one of our alumni from Michigan State rec um, gave my name, and I and I thank her. Uh, that was Courtney Hicks uh, Lanier. Uh, she gave my name to them, say, you know who's a good person to engage with this, Michelle. And so uh, the rest is history. So now we have fourteen schools in that out of the Big Ten, and I'm representing wow. Michigan State along with another uh, person from Michigan State, Ken. And uh, I would say in total, we probably have over 12,000 people in that group. Um, wow. We, you know, we did, um, you know, we've been trying to get something together for us. There was kind of an unofficial get together last summer, 
yeah, last, it was just last summer um, in mm -hmm. Chicago with a group of people. But I, I really feel that um, us getting together as a collective, as a Big Ten group, as a Michigan State group, it's just important. I don't do this for any, uh, I don't get paid for it. I don't have a budget yeah. for it. You know, whereas alumni associations, they get budgets and, mm -hmm. you know, they have scholarships and all that. I, I do it because I love to do it. You know, this yeah. is me personally. And I think that comes out in the way that I present it, in the way that I show my passion and commitment to it. Um, yeah. I have, you know, big respect for our, all our alumni associations. Uh, but this is just my little thing that I started and people don't <laughs> want me to let it go. So I'm not going to let it go. I'm just going to keep doing it and keep letting it grow. As you should. Now, you are also the first African-American to become a part of the National Society Daughters of the American Revolution. <laughs> so talk, tell us about that. <laughs> okay, so um, NSDAR, National Society Daughters of the American Revolution, mm. is a um, non-political, bipartisan type of organization. It's just... Um, really an organization founded in the 1800s by a group of women who had an association or affiliation with a, a revolutionary war patriot. Yeah. And so they got together and formulated this organization, which uh, for over a hundred something years have been limited to just uh, white women. Yeah. And uh, we all know <laughs> that blacks fought in the revolutionary war. We also Thanks. know that we are, biracial products of people who have fought in the Revolutionary War, me being one Absolutely. of them. Um, the organization at any given time has a roughly 180,000 active women, um, mainly in the United States. There are a few international as well. And uh, out of that, 100 of them, a little over 100 are Black women. Hmm. So that just tells you right there is very small in terms of the African-American population. I have about seven members in my family alone that are part of this organization. My grandmother, who is 102 years old right now, uh, she's probably one of the oldest women in the organization, living women mm -hmm. in the organization yeah. to date. I can probably safely say that she is the oldest African-American woman in the organization for sure. Um, and she joined at age 99. I saw to yeah. that. I wanted to make sure people say, well, why would you do that? Because of the whole Marian Anderson thing and they mm -hmm. wouldn't let her sing at Constitutional Hall. And right. you know, I want to I want to dispel that myth a little bit because yes, that was a an issue. Um, Eleanor Roosevelt addressed that. And since yeah. that time, she actually uh, sang a couple of times there. Yeah. And, um, you know, I that was not during my era, not discounting it, but yeah. I'm always about moving forward, you know, always yeah. forward, you know, and not uh, holding back grudges of the past, because how are we ever going to have our foothold in society if we keep holding ourselves back? You know what they did to us back? Yes, they yeah. did some terrible things to us, but if we use that as a crutch on why we won't advance, then we will yeah. continue to be exactly where they would want us to be. And, and, and that is definitely not where I want to be, or I want my um, descendants to be. 
Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that process. So you're not in this group. How do you become a member of that group? What what's the steps to that? So you have to show um, legal documented evidence that you have direct line of um, ancestry or descendant of a revolutionary war patriot. Um, my uh, sixth, no, my fifth great grandfather was a revolutionary war patriot on my maternal side. And so mm. I literally had to show birth certificates, death certificates, census reports, uh, land grants, um, mm. anything wow. that shows proof that I am connected up the line to this individual. And I just yeah. recently realized that on my paternal side, my fifth great grandfather over there was also a revolutionary war patriot. So I'm in the process of working on that second, we call it a supplemental application um, to get in. It took me about two years to get in wow. the organization. And, you know, two reasons why I did it. One is because I did have a conversation um, initially with a cousin who was in it, who encouraged me to do it. Um, I talked with a woman who was the first African-American woman to join the DAR, um, Karen Batchelor. She okay. is actually from the Detroit area, and she was a friend of my uh, cousin. And so I had a chance to uh, talk with her and, you know, her being the first and the challenges she had and uh, overcoming those. And, and it just inspired me like, yeah, I got to go do this now. I got to make sure okay. I do this. And, um, you know, since that time, I brought other people into the organization. My two sons, when they were kids, I got them into the children of the American Revolution. Mm -hmm. So at age 18, they can make the decision or any time after 18 that if they want to be part of the sons of the American Revolution, that there's already proof and evidence in a, a paper trail that supports that. So I'm just trying to make this path a lot easier because it took me yeah. two years, like I said, and it wasn't easy at all to you know get mm -hmm. that information. I had to go down to Macon, Georgia and pull records from the archive. I mean, it was a lot. <laughs> just to just because you know, you just can't say, hey, I know my my grandma told me. <laughs> You know, we were part of such and such, you know, you got to prove it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious, who who were they? Who were the uh, Patriots? So on my um, maternal side, the Patriot, his name is Robert Hart. Um, okay. I should have brought the pins and everything because we actually have a sash that we wear. And you have all these very decorated pins from um, Hamilton jeweler. So this ain't like some little cheap jewelry, you know, real nice <laughs> jewels that you have that represent uh, your patriot, your uh, chapter, and, and so forth. And also um, on my uh, paternal side is uh, Joseph Campbell, which okay. is um, really a gem because a lot of people, especially women, don't get a chance to carry their name, you know, their namesake. Mm, yeah, yeah. Robert Hart is down the line somewhere, right, to get right, to meet right. Campbell. But on my uh, paternal side is, you know, from me, my dad, my grandfather, and so forth, Campbell, 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 all the way up. Mm -hmm. And Robert Hart, that line came from England. This line came from Scotland. So as you know, Campbell is Scottish. Um, I do have Scottish inheritance as well as English inheritance. Um, I have um, an official Scottish um, family crest. 
and lapel pin um, to represent the Campbell family. Um, I'm in the official Campbell Society, which is, um, again, you have to prove that. And that's like through a whole different test. Um, DNA is included in that. Y chromosome okay. DNA. And I could, I could go down that rabbit hole with you, but essentially long and short of it, men carry Y chromosome. The Y chromosome in the man does not mutate or very seldomly mutates every thousand years or so forth. So whatever your last name is, if that is the name of your father, grandfather, and go all the way up, anybody that has that last name as a male taking that test and they tie in with your last name, it will tell you your uh, match. And so that is how we were able to confirm exact matches through DNA, uh, Y chromosome specifically testing that um, we are legitimate Campbells. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this is the question I've been setting you up. There's two questions and then, you know, we'll, we'll get to our closeout uh, shortly thereafter, but we're we're only given fourteen forty. This is this is something we say common. We're only given fourteen forty, fourteen hundred and forty minutes in a day. How in the world are you doing all of these things with your fourteen forty? That's my first question. Yeah, um, I ask myself sometimes that um, you know having a full time job, being a mother, you know, just all the social things I want to do, all the community things I want to do. I just make it happen. You know, I also have a personal life. Um, you know, I'm, I have someone I'm dating and, you know, I have to spend time with that, you know, him as well. Cause you know, I got to give everybody, you know, their share of, of Michelle. And, you know, I, I believe he, he gets his proper share, uh, as well as the rest of the world. But, um, you know, I just, I feel like, now that I know my purpose, I guess I have a newfound energy. Um, mm -hmm. I can I can see how. Have you ever had like a something you love to do and you could be up all night, all day, hours upon Absolutely. hours doing it without that? That's what my life is now. I mean, my okay. whole life is like that, wow. and it wasn't okay. always that way. And I think mm -hmm. because I know purpose, I got work to do. I know I got mm -hmm. stuff to do. I know I want to have fun. I know mm -hmm. I got to raise children. I know mm -hmm. I got a career and all this, but all of it is for purpose. I don't do stuff yeah. just to do. Everything mm -hmm. is de somewhat deliberate. And so when I know that it's all going to a, a purpose, a greater good, my purpose is to give back. My purpose is to show people their purpose too. And mm -hmm. identify that we all are here for a reason. And once you know that, and I'm going to tell you, I didn't always know that. So I was working yeah, yeah. and burning, like they say, burning the candle at both ends because I was doing a whole bunch of stuff, but mm -hmm. probably not driven to the purpose. Mm -hmm. Now that I'm there, it it doesn't seem like work, you know? Mm -hmm. It doesn't mm -hmm. seem like, oh, I, I got to go do this. Mm -hmm. It's like, I want to go do this. I want to show somebody something. I want to be a better person to this one. I want to give pers this person an inspiration. And sometimes I'm giving inspiration to people I don't even know I'm giving it to. They might hit yeah. me oh, up yeah. and say, you know, that message you posted or that conversation we had, that that really touched me. That yeah. that meant something to me. And then when, that's how I know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do here. 
So yeah, it, and it's, it's probably work. it's probably countless others who never make that call that yeah. you're impacting as well. Uh, when when did you? So you, you you're in a place where you you're not at that place where you know you have a purpose, and then you get to that place. What's the what's the moment that that happens, or what's what's the evolution to that? Place? Yeah, that that's the most exciting part because you know I I grew up in a Christian household. My mom's a pastor. Uh, she wasn't always a pastor, but she is now. I mean, but it was very mm-hmm. old. I told you we grew up Lutheran. I'm not Lutheran. I'm I'm a Christian. I'm not okay. Baptist, Presbyterian, and all that. Right? Actually, my Lutheran yeah. church converted to non-denomination. Long story short, but mm-hmm. bottom line is, I heard this all my life. You got to live in purpose. You got to walk in purpose. You got to. What are you talking about? What does that mean? <laughs> I ain't gonna even lie. Yeah. I'm like, you'll hear yeah. the elders say, "You got to know your purpose. You got to yeah. walk in purpose." What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And then one day. I had to literally, I would say, I'm going to tell you what I did, okay? I'm going to tell you exactly what I did. And y'all can take notes on this because I, I told my cousin, <laughs> she took notes. repeat that for me again, girl. So this is what I did. I said, I'm, I, I think I had a pretty good run in my life. I think I've made some really good decisions, but God, I need you to show me what you would have me to do. Because mm. I can make some, I think I'm making some pretty good decisions. I'm a corporate exec. I just spoke to the United Nations. Mm-hmm. I've done all these fascinating things in my career. Mm-hmm. But is this what you want of me? Mm. And then I said, can you show me what it is I'm supposed to do? And mm. literally I heard, well, your whole world is about to change. I like my world right now. So <laughs> What, what, what are we about to do? <laughs> you know, what's this? So what happened? Um, I was married for 20 years. And that just overnight was done. And I was wow. like, all right. I, I never regretted it. I never felt bad about it. I mean, honestly, I I knew when God told me some things were going to change, unraveling had to happen. Some things had Mm. to unravel that I had put in place. And um, I had to unravel back to age 11 and 12 when my parents got divorced and and reconcile with that because Mm. I was of the mind, I don't need no man to do nothing. Mm -hmm. Okay, because my dad did everything and he was all this and that. And it seemed like the whole world ended when they got divorced for me as a kid moving to a new school Mm -hmm. and all this. So I had to process that and realize a lot of things. Right. And so when that happened, I was stripped down. Mm -hmm. Okay. When I say stripped down, my career had went sideways for a minute. My marriage went sideways for a minute. My past came lurking back at me and I had to go reconcile it. And I said, wow, this this is the unraveling that had to occur. But God said, but I'm about to rebuild you. I'm going to rebuild you Mm. into somebody that you would have never been able to rebuild on your own. And I'm going to tell you what. Things started coming together. I got the best job, the best boss, the best coworkers, the best team under me. you know, so corporate was a different thing. I didn't even go into all the corporate drama 
that I had gone through for 20 something years, but just know it was a lot. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I never wanted to see that again. And I, I told myself, if I go back into this, God says, it's not going to be the same though. And it's not, it's so much better. It's it's so Mm -hmm. much freer. My relationships are more, um, it's not about, oh, y'all look cute together and, oh, mm-hmm. y'all make this kind of money and y'all can have these big mansion and these cars and all that. That was all great. And I still like that kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. that's not the marriage. That's not the relationship. Oh, yeah. Relationship, when you understand your purpose, that purpose, person understand purpose, y'all work in purpose together. It's a yeah. whole different ball game. So a lot of things, tri- I mean, I had to, like I said, get stripped down to get rebuilt because yeah. wow. I needed to be a better person. And I'll never forget one of my good brothers um, went to Michigan State, Darnell Blackburn. He told me, I said, Darnell, mm-hmm. I'm good. I said, I am good. He was like, mm-hmm. yeah, you you are a good person, but God wants you to be better. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't even know how I can be better. I mean, honestly, I'm like, I am the whole package, the whole package, okay? I got this and that and that. It's not about that. It was up here too. Mm, and wow. when that got transformed, I realized, okay, now I see what better looks like. Now mm. I feel better. Now I can work like a workhorse. Everybody around me think I'm crazy. I'm well rested, <laughs> right? I'm well rested. Wow. I have enough time to do what I need to do. It, it just worked out, but I had to mm-hmm. let go. You hear the cliche, let go and let God and all that. Mm-hmm. I literally had to let go because I, I had mm-hmm. a good plan, I thought, but mm-hmm. it's nothing like the plan I got going now. This is a mm-hmm absolute best plan for me and i i encourage everybody to understand that purpose and sometimes we're doing stuff we're making a lot of noise and ruckus and making (laughs) stuff doing stuff but we're not following the purpose of why you even exist yeah oh man that's 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 awesome I'm not going to even take it nowhere else i had a few (laughs) other things that i was going to ask but i think that's just an awesome way to to kind of cap that off. So we must get to our final question that we ask each and every one of our guests. It's uh it's an interesting question. Are you ready? Sure. Uh have you ever been on the cover of a magazine? Mm. Uh, no, not on the cover of a magazine. <laughs> okay. All right. So there was pause there. You've been in magazines. No, I've been in magazines, um, mm-hmm. but I have never been on the cover of a magazine. Yeah. And so, you know, that's one of the joys of this uh, thing that we're doing here at Dripping in Black. We've done this for so, so many people. Our guests, we place them on the first magazine cover. Esquire, uh, Sean Smith is going to give you a preview of yours. He's going to pull that up for you. Oh, <laughs> I like. Wow. That looks All right. Cool. So that is uh that is a parting gift that we give out. We will print that out, laminate and laminate it and send it out to you as a huge thank you for coming out to the Dripping in Black podcast. Wow. You guys are awesome. <laughs> thank you so much. All right. So much. you are oh, the, the pleasure is all ours. Uh I want to give you an opportunity 
to drop any social media with regards to the Big Ten uh, Spartans, the Black alumni, as well as Smack Productions and all of that. So drop all your social media. Okay. Um, it's um, so let's start Smack Productions. It's S period, M period, A period, C period Productions. That's on Facebook and on Instagram is Smack Productions 2020 on Instagram. Um, the Big Ten uh, Black Alumni Group is just that. Uh, you know, make sure you pick the one that has like thousands and thousands of members because some people <laughs> want it to be imposters and break off, but you can't <laughs> ever duplicate excellence. So 12,000 strong might be more than that. Um, the uh, uh, It says, I'm trying to remember how the language is, but it's basically if you look up home of the Black Spartans, um, that is where you will find um, our Black uh, graduates, alumni. Um, this isn't a fan group, so it's strictly for people who have either attended. So we even allow if you've attended or graduated from Michigan State, you can become okay. a member of that. The Black Spartans Travel Group, also on Facebook. Um, again, you know, attended or graduated from Michigan State. Um, there are some membership questions that need to be answered in order to uh, fulfill your membership. Um, approval. So um, let's see. I think I did I get them all. I think <laughs> sounds. Yeah. yeah, sounds really good to me. Any any shout outs you want to give? Mm, let's see here. Wow. Oh yeah. To all of my, I call them my journey members, my journey friends, my tribe. Um, you know who you are. Who have helped me through that, um, really the transitional period of my life. And I would say that was within the last five years of my life where things really um, went on a different, more higher level, more positive trajectory. Um, shout out to, of course, my mother who's out there. She'll probably watch this uh, uh, at some point in time. My mom is usually the last one to watch my podcast and things. <laughs> You know how it is, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, um, shout out to her for her uh, rearing and upbringing and sometimes being tough, but I understand why now, uh, why she did what she did and why she had to do what she thought was the best thing. And um, yeah, uh, my bae, my boo, he knows who he is <laughs> uh, for just being uh, totally there for me and helping me actually continue to be a better person. And uh, shout out to you and Sean for really, you know, bringing me uh, to this part of uh, another piece of my journey and being able to share my story uh, with the world. Yeah, yeah, the pleasure again, it's all ours. I think I'll be remiss. Um, we've had uh, quite a, a week and a half in our area, right? Specifically yeah. dealing with Michigan State. So I want to give you an opportunity to speak to that. I graduated from U of M, Dearborn, uh, but uh, this is a time when we're, we're all Spartan strong. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, hard to process. Um, you know, I think about just when I was at Michigan State, and just going through the College of Engineering was a challenge in and of itself. Uh, trying to find your identity is a, uh, you know, a journey in and of itself. Um, 
I couldn't even imagine then having that whole thought of uh, active shooters potentially, you know, in harm's way uh, on campus. Campus was a safe zone. And I'm not saying that it's not a safe campus. You know, this literally could have happened anywhere. Anywhere. Um, You know, my my youngest son is about to go off to college. And I asked him, I said, uh, he's going to Northeastern. And I asked him, I said, are you scared? He said, no, I'm not scared. I mean, this is kind of their reality. They've been going through this for a while. The high schools, grade schools, the high schools, the colleges, um, it's their new normal. I never want it to be that way. Um, Prayers go out to the families, to Brian's family, Alexandria's and Ariel's family, um, to the the ones that are still in the hospital uh, trying to recover. Um, the faculty, the staff, the students that still remain, the alumni, um, the extended families of of everyone affected by this. I mean, it it just hit home. It was like it was yeah. in my throat, you know, when I heard yeah. it because I've been up there for homecoming. I, you know, yeah. go to the alumni awards galas and. Um, you know, I'm very, uh, very supportive of the university. So for for that to happen, and then for me to be here in New York when that happened, I felt yeah. like detached, like I needed to jump on a plane yeah. and do something, you know, like like my kids were up there or something, or I, I, it, it was just a lot. So um, just prayers out to everyone affected. We will get through this. We are Spartan yeah. strong. That's what we stand for. That is our mantra, and we live by it. We, we will overcome. We will, yeah. and it'll it'll make us an even stronger university, a stronger Big Ten. Overall, I love the outpour from the the Big Ten, especially University of Michigan, who yeah. you know, most days we like this, you know. But <laughs> you know, when I saw them light up uh, Chrysler Arena and. Uh, how they uh, recognized us so well on Saturday at the basketball game and other sports and other um, colleges too around the area. It, it it does makes your heart warm that we, we are one and we all, we need to go and take some action on this. I don't, I, I, yeah. you know, that's my next step on what do we do next? How do we fix this? How do we not let this yeah. happen again? Right. Yeah. So um, yeah. I think as a collective, we 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 gotta mobilize. We gotta do something about this. So that's yeah. my parting words with that. Yeah, that's very well said. And uh, so we just want to give a huge thanks to Michelle Campbell for coming out, sharing bits and pieces of her story. I promise you, we could not chronicle it all here, but we did a we did a yeoman's effort trying to do so. So big thanks to Michelle. We want to remind our audience that the DIBK Drip Shop is open. Go to DIBKDripShop.com and cop your latest dripping in black merch. Lots of great stuff there to represent black excellence. So go on ahead and cop that. We are still in February where there is a discount for those that go in there uh, for Black History Month. And as always, a huge thanks to all of our listeners, viewers, supporters, and subscribers. And until next time, be kind, be loving, and be excellent on purpose. It is a choice. You have just experienced a Dripping in Black production.
enhance your business or brand by creating a podcast. A podcast can spread your product or expertise and passion to the world. A few benefits of podcasting are it builds a personal connection, increased traffic generation, and builds more brand authority. Dripping in Black Productions is equipped to manifest your vision to a viable tool for your business or brand. Anything from creating a sizzle reel or a full video audio production of your podcast, big or small, Dripping in Black Productions can support your needs. Contact us at www.dibkproductions.com for a free initial consultation. Synthesize thoughts and create masterpieces is the mantra of Dripping in Black Productions. And we don't stop.